nice to uh, not watch Christmas movies and cartoons. Uh, it is nice to be able to control the TV again for a little while and to control the natural rhythm. But uh, normally on a Sunday morning, I get up fairly early. I tend to go to my local coffee shop where I get a chance to spend some time building relationships with the baristas that are there. And one of my favorites this morning shared with me that uh, he would be leaving and today was his last day. And so we spent the next hour and a half together uh, talking and sharing with one another and just had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. It's been a conversation that we've had that's been ongoing almost every Sunday morning prior to coming here and being here uh, for uh, rehearsals and uh, being preparing for a Sunday morning service. And so I was excited to be able to sit with him today and to share with him and to pray with him as he shared with me that he would be moving home, and home for him is still in the state, but it's just a different part of the state, but home is also unique for him because uh, everyone in his family is Muslim and is very uh, just turned off by Christianity, and so the opportunity to sit with him and to pray with him and to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ with him has really gotten me encouraged in thinking about our passage today as we begin to wrap up First Timothy. Now, um, we are still walking through our series here today. We're in First Timothy chapter 6. As I think about my encounter this morning, I was quickly turned back to our passage here in verses 11 through 21. Now, many of you may be thinking good and praise the Lord. We are finally done with 1 Timothy. Now we can move on to something else. Uh, I want to encourage you that this does not mean the end of our series. We are still going to continue in letters from the pastors, uh, from the pastor. Um, and here's what's going to happen. After Thanksgiving, uh, we are going to pursue, um, we're actually not going to pursue, we're going to pause from this particular series uh, to focus on Advent. And so I think 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21 is a good lead up to the Advent season. And then once we get through Advent and we get past Christmas, we will pick back up the new year with our series Letters from the Pastor, and we will begin to study together uh, 2 Timothy. But in the meantime, let's begin to close out uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus this morning. And so as you're finding your place, in the Word of God today, I hope that we can begin to see that as believers in Christ, we are not only called to be prepared in season and out of season, but we are also called to fight the good fight of faith and to use our gifts and our resources for eternal gain and for kingdom advancement. Now, um, what we already know of 1 Timothy is this. Paul has already covered just a number of sub, uh, subjects and topics within this letter to first, uh, in 1 Timothy, this letter to Timothy in the church at Ephesus. You see, he's already covered false teaching. He's covered the importance of prayer. He's covered the role of women in the church. He's talked about the qualifications of church leaders. He has given the church instructions about widows and also instructions about slaves. And he has given us the instruction on the dangers of materialism. Now, in looking back over all these topics, it may lead us to wonder what it was that was most important to Paul as he brings this particular letter to a close. Now, 
In our passage today, we are going to begin to see what would be Paul's final theme and what can actually be argued as the overall theme for Paul's first letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. And that theme can be found in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 when Paul says that we are to fight the good fight of faith. Now, this is important to note because it is actually the same language that Paul uses back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, when he calls Timothy to wage the good warfare. So we can see from beginning to the end of this particular letter that Paul reminds Timothy of the battles and the struggles that accompany Christian life. And so Paul wants Timothy here to realize that he is in a battle for his faith and not simply in a battle for the faith. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to realize today that we too are now engaged in a battle for our faith. And so as we begin to read this morning, we need to see that as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of the way, we are called to fight the good fight. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 11. Now, once you have found your place in the word, if you can and are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now, again, this is Paul writing to Timothy, writing to the church at Ephesus. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. But as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. 
Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now in these next few moments to to be able to study your word, to, by your grace, further understand who you are and what it is that you have called us to. God, I pray that as we open your word today, Father, prepare our hearts for your truth. God, we pray that in these next few moments that you would just simply be glorified as we continue to worship you through the study of your word. Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we've already had to to worship you in song, to worship you in prayer, to worship you through the reading of your word. And Father, we pray now that, again, you would prepare us for what you have. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for the truth that can be found in your word. And Father, we pray that in these next few moments together that you and you alone would be glorified. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for delighting in us. Now, Father, prepare our hearts this morning. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we read in our passage, we need to realize this this morning. We are now engaged and involved in spiritual warfare. You see, the Bible is clear that we are in a battle for our faith, and we've actually been in this battle since the beginning of time. You can look through scriptures and see how often scripture speaks of the spiritual battle that we as believers are involved in. In fact, when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, we see that we are currently at war against our sin. When you look to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we see that war is taking place even within our own souls. In Jude 3, we see that we are currently in a struggle for our faith. And again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, and uh, chapter 10, verse 4, we see that as believers, knowing that we are engaged in warfare, we now have weapons as believers. And then again, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we see that our battle is against the world powers of this present darkness. You see, each one of us is involved in this spiritual war because our faith is constantly under attack. You see, if we were to take a step back for a moment and assess our own lives, we will see that we are currently battling on multiple levels. Every day we are battling for our marriages. We battle for our children. We battle for purity. We battle against materialism, especially in a culture and a, and a country that is consumed and driven by materialism. As believers individually, we battle things like unbelief. We battle doubt on a daily basis. And then what ultimately happens to us is it could lead us to be consumed with worry and be consumed with despair. And yes, we can even be consumed with fear. And so here's the truth that we need to realize today. These battles are unrelenting. 
You see, the Christian life is not something that we are going to simply coast along in. The Christian life is not the top of the roller coaster and all of a sudden it's a, it's a downhill ride from here and it's super easy and super quick. But yet at the same time, not only is it uh, not easy and not quick for us, but we need to take it one more step further and realize that the Christian life is even more of a challenge than just for us individually. You see, we're not only battling for our individual lives and for our families, we are battling for the souls of non-Christians as well. So as believers in Christ, we should not take the battle lightly. You see, the enemy we are fighting against is formidable. In fact, Martin Luther realized this when he wrote A Mighty Fortress. In, in Singing of Satan, the Prince of Darkness, we actually sing in that tune, On earth is not his equal. In other words, when thinking of our battle, when thinking of our enemy, which, oh, by the way, is not our neighbor's. When thinking of our enemy, which, oh, by the way, isn't the people that we disagree with politically. Our enemy is Satan himself. And so when thinking of our enemy, we need to realize that he wants to defame God's glory. He wants to distort God's gospel, and he wants to destroy God's people. You see, it's Satan who wants to wreck our marriages. He wants to destroy our relationships. He wants to stir up disunity and attack our integrity and do everything he can to keep us from knowing God and from spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we read a description of the devil as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see, here's the reality. Our enemy is not all-powerful. However, we are no match for him. Regardless of how strong we are, regardless of how smart we think we are, our enemy cannot and should not be taken lightly. So now in knowing our enemy, in knowing that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare, we now need to realize the scope of this war. You see, this war is universal. This war is actually cosmic. It involves every language and people and nation and tribe and family. And yes, it involves every life. And so our involvement in this battle is now ultimately inevitable. We do not get to choose whether or not we want to be in it. In fact, our involvement began the day we were born. If I could take that a step further in today's society, the battle now begins before we are born. So we cannot simply ignore this fight. 
We cannot simply sit back and hope that someone else will take up the mantle, hoping that uh, someone else will take up the fight for us. We can't sit back and say, well, I'm going to sit here and hope for the best. In fact, if you read James chapter 4, verse 7, notice what it says. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now notice this about James. Notice James here does not say to ignore the devil. You see, if we try to ignore the war that's going on around us, if we begin to pretend that it's not real, or we begin to think that it really doesn't matter, then ultimately we will fail. You see, spiritual retreat only leads to spiritual defeat. The stakes in this battle are eternal. And the casualties, the casualties will be lost for eternity if we don't engage. You see, we need to realize today that there is a God, our Lord and Savior. There is a God over this world who wants all people to be saved. And yet at the same time, there is now an enemy in this world who wants all people to burn in hell for all eternity. You see, the battle is raging for our favorite baristas at our local coffee shop. The battle is raging for our friends and our family, for our co-workers and our neighbors and all the peoples of the world. And so how we choose to fight will ultimately have eternal implications. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, before we even get into our text, do we now understand the scope of the battle that is being waged all around us? Do we realize who the enemy is and who it is that we are fighting? Do we realize what it is that we are now fighting for? And if so, then how are we to respond to this battle? Well, Paul responds by telling Timothy and the church at Ephesus and us today that we are called to fight the good fight. If you look again in verses 11 and 12 here, Paul, in speaking to Timothy, says to fight the good fight of the faith. Now notice what Paul is doing. Paul actually calls this the good fight. You see, Paul recognizes that the good fight is a fight for eternal life. The good fight is a fight for peace. It's a fight for confidence and hope in what is to come. In other words, this fight is not simply for us, but it's also for others so that others will come to know eternal life in Jesus Christ as well. But now pay close attention to Paul's words here because he doesn't miss, uh, mix up words. He doesn't miscommunicate his point. Notice that Paul calls this fight a good fight. But that does not mean the fight will be easy. You see, this fight is going to require effort on our part. 
But the truth is the reward that God has secured for us in Christ will make the effort worth it. Now coming back to verse 11, Paul continues, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now here Paul teaches us that we should flee evil that pulls us away from God. Now yes, you heard Paul correctly. We are called to run. Now I'm gonna go ahead and be the first to admit, I know that sounds like the opposite of fighting. Somebody once asked me what you would do if you were being chased by a group of people who wanted to hurt you. I thought about that for a brief moment, and then I turned and said to them, I'm only going to run for about one mile, because that's going to give me enough time to think about what it is I'm going to do when I turn around and begin to fight, because the reality is this, I am built like a defensive lineman. I only have one mile of running in me, and then I've got to come up with a better solution. But in our text today, Paul teaches us that we are called to run. You see, there are going to be times where running is the best form of defense. Now notice, Paul gives us this phrase, these things. He tells us to flee or to run from these things. Well, we now know that these things that he is speaking of actually points us back to the materialism and the quarreling and the slander and the arrogance that was mentioned previously in verses 3 through 10. So what Paul is doing here and speaking to Timothy in the church at Ephesus is he's telling us to have no part in these things. In other words, he's saying to us, by fleeing them, we are not to speak of them, we are not to hear the slander or the gossip, we are not to spend time with slander or gossip or materialism, rather we are taught to run from them because these things will try to tell us that God is not enough. You see, when we run from sin, we run from sin because our spiritual struggles with sin are also struggles to believe in God. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We have to ask ourselves this morning, why do we lie? Well, I think the answer to that for all of us can be because we believe things will go better for us if and when we do. A follow-up question I think is very important to today's current climate is this. Why do we doubt? Why do we despair? Why do we live in fear? Well, the answer is because we don't believe that God will take care of us. You see, each of our sins reveal the fact that we are not satisfied in God. You remember that from last week? Ultimately, when we sin, we are saying, sorry, God, I don't think you can handle this one today. In fact, I've got it. You don't need to worry. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. When it comes to sin and it comes to temptation in our life, God's holy word is our weapon to fight this battle with sin. 
You see, the fight of faith is a fight to believe in who God is and to believe in what God can do. Now we come back to our text. We see that Paul teaches us what it is that we are to run from, but the question now becomes, well, what are we running to? Because if you're like me and you run, which is something I'm trying to get in the habit of, there has to be a goal. There has to be a finish line. There has to be an objective. If we're running from something, that means we're running towards something else. So what is it are we running towards? Well, Paul answers us when he says that we are to pursue things like righteousness or a right thinking and living. He tells us that we are to pursue godliness, which is the belief in God and a behavior that reflects that belief in God. Paul tells us that we are to pursue faith or a deep trust in God. He tells us we are to pursue love or great affection for God, and we are to pursue steadfastness or perseverance amidst difficulties. And then he tells us that we are to pursue gentleness, which is kindness towards difficult people. You see, as believers today, the battles may seem daunting, but we need to remember that God has called each one of us. You see, it's God who knows us by name, and it is God who stands with us. Look with me in verse 13. Paul makes this very point. He says, in the presence of God. Now, Paul here is reminding Timothy that God is with us. So now think about that for a moment. The creator of all things. The creator of mankind, the, the creator of the heavens who spoke them into existence, that God is on our side. The dreaded warrior or the great and mighty champion of Jeremiah chapter 20 stands with us. Our champion is near to us. He is in the midst of our battle, and therefore we do not stand alone. Paul goes on to say of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Now Paul here is reminding the church of Jesus Christ and his testimony. You see, when Jesus' life was on the line at the point of crucifixion, he made the good confession. In other words, it was Jesus who declared his kingship and it cost him his life. But pay attention to it. You see, Jesus giving up his life was a part of the sovereign plan of God. It was a part of God's plan for us, but ultimately it was done for the glory of God. So when we think of who it is that we are in the presence of, we can recognize that the Savior who died for us, our Lord and Savior who now lives, he now stands beside us. And not only does he stand with us, but we can know and rest 
rest in knowing that one day he is coming again for his people. Man, I got to tell you, that's a great lead in to where we're going to be this Christmas season for Advent. We're going to spend a, a good bit of time talking about the second coming and what is in store for us. But for today, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and just getting to verse 13, we now have to ask ourselves, when it comes to this spiritual warfare, when it comes to this battle that we find ourselves in the midst of, knowing that Jesus stands with us, what do we have to fear? Well, verse 14, Paul continues. Paul here in light of Jesus Christ and what it is that he has done and the fact that we are now in the midst of this war now calls the church to continue to walk in obedience until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, for Paul here in speaking to the believers, as believers, we need to look and to long for the day the Lord returns or the day that we are called home. In other words, Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and to us today that we pursue godliness because we know that Jesus is coming again. You see, again, Jesus is coming back for the faithful. And so we are called to live for him until that day comes. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. As believers in Christ, we are very much unlike the world. We don't live for the next day. We don't live for the day after that or the week after that. Rather, we live for the day that Jesus Christ returns. And so if there is a day that should matter for all believers, it should be the day that Jesus comes again. And until that day, we are called to faithfully and boldly live for him. Now Paul moves from there into verses 15 and 16. And here we see Paul's encouragement for those who are overwhelmed. We see that we are called to now live in all of God's greatness. So in this particular passage, Paul now gives us what can be said as the most glorious and majestic hymn of praise to God. You see here, Paul tells us that God is universal. He tells us that he is sovereign over all. He tells us that God is invincible. In other words, no one can match him. We see that God is immortal, that he is beyond time. We see that God is unapproachable. In other words, uh, he lives in an atmosphere of blinding holiness. We see that our God is inconceivable. In other words, we can never fathom his greatness and God possesses all power. In other words, omnipotent might is his and his alone. We then see that God is the one who deserves all praise. In other words, it is God who deserves all the honor. It is God who deserves the glory. It all belongs to him. So here is Paul teaching us what it is that we should see and know today. 
We don't come to church simply because it's that thing we should do because it's Sunday. We don't come to church in hopes of throwing up a Hail Mary pass and hoping that's going to cover us for the rest of the week. Rather, we should see that when we come to worship and every day that God has given us by his grace and mercy, we are to worship him because the God that we worship is a great God and our great God is with us. And so we fight daily for our souls. We fight daily for the desire to make his name and to make his glory known. Paul now gets into verses 17 through 19. And here Paul actually returns to the issue of materialism. Now many would ask at this point, okay, Paul, We just covered this in verses 3 through 10. Why are we having this conversation again? Well, again, I want to point you to the fact that there was method to Paul's words. Paul was very clear, and he did not, again, mix his words. You see, in looking at verses 3 through 10, in light of verses 17 through 19, we can realize in Paul's own words that contentment with godliness, according to verse 6, is what it is that we must be fighting for, according to verses 11 through 14. And the one way we fight for it is to give away what it is that we have, according to verses 17 through 19. In other words, there is no reason to crave the pleasure of this world because God is the greatest gain. So here Paul urges the believers to give for eternal gain. Now again, at this point, we have to ask, Paul, how? How are, we to, how are we to do that? Are we supposed to just go sell everything now? Are we, to, are we to just give up all that we have now? Well, Paul actually answers this question. In verse 17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. In other words, Paul calls the believers to flee self confidence. You see, possessions produce pride. When we tend to think that security is based on stuff, we end up finding ourselves in a selfish moment of wanting to gain more stuff. So in the midst of giving away our stuff, in the midst of turning it over to God and saying, God, this stuff is for you and for your glory, if we are not watchful and careful, Paul tells us that insecurities can quickly surface. Next, Paul tells us in verse 17 that we are are called to flee self-centeredness. In other words, our wealth can cause us to now hope in ourselves. We can become people who now look at what it is that we have acquired and we can begin to be filled with self worth based on what we have done with the stuff that we have now and not what God is doing through us. Paul then goes from there and he gives us what it is that we should be focused on, which is, again, according to verse 17, God. 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, hear me on this. If God has blessed you with an abundance, praise God, okay? I mean, here's the reality, whether we want to admit this or not. Again, I want to say this. We said this last week. If you're making above twenty dollars to $25,000 a year in this country, you are now in the top 1% of the world's wealth. We have it made here in America. Now, if you want to argue that point, may I encourage you that once other countries open, go visit another country. Go spend time in Haiti or the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. And again, I'm not talking down about these people. There are beautiful people in these countries. However, when you see them and you see what they lack and the comforts that they don't have that we take for granted, you'll begin to understand all that we truly have compared to their situations. And then here's the beauty of it. Even for those people, they find joy in what it is that they have. You know, I remember, I've, I don't know if many of you know this or not, but I led quite a few mission trips down to Puerto Rico, and there was a particular city on the south side of the island that we ended up being some of the first missionaries uh, to be in that particular area. There was actually a Christian church there, believe it or not, that we partnered with, and it was the most beautiful experience I'd ever had. You see, they didn't have a building like we do. They didn't have four buildings. They barely had one. They had the second floor of a daycare. And so we met on Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning was similar to what we experience in here. You go in and you turn on the lights and you don't know if they're going to work. You know what they didn't have though? They didn't have computers. They didn't have LED lights. I remember one particular Sunday morning walking in that I was supposed to, to preach with a translator up there. The pastor was going to translate for me. And we walked in and when we turned on the lights, the lights didn't work. Now we're on an island in the middle of the Caribbean. It was hot. And big boy sweats in the heat. We got in and we turned on the air condition. And guess what wasn't working? The air condition. I want to tell you, praise God, right now there's a vent that I'm standing beside and it is blowing cold air. I did not have that there. We didn't have a computer with words on a screen. We had a projector. So remember, everybody remember the overhead projector? If you don't remember an overhead projector, you need some history and culture in your life. They still had the clear pages with words on them, and they had a person who was flipping through words faster than you can imagine. And here's how worship started. There was no welcome. There was no announcements. There was a, a moment of prayer, and then all of a sudden, the band just began. One drum, one guitar, and the people sang. And for the next two and a half hours, we worshiped Jesus. Lights didn't matter. AC did not matter. What mattered was God being glorified. You see, these people realized that it was God who had provided everything for them to enjoy. And they enjoyed the good gift that they had in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, moving on from there, 
Coming back to our text, we get into uh, verse 18 here. We see that in verse 18, we are called to, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share. You see, in response to God's gifts and God's goodness, we should be willing to give good for others' enjoyment. So as believers, we are called to set our sights on giving and sacrificing and storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, according to verse 19. You see, there is one way that we can lay hold of eternal life, and it's by the way we use our resources. It's by the way we share our abundance that God has given to us for his glory. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we using the resources that God has given to us for his glory? Paul now gets into verse 20 and verse 21. And here we see Paul's closing thoughts to Timothy. He says to Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. You see, Timothy had now been entrusted with the whole of Christian faith. Timothy had been given policy and polity on how the church should govern itself and how the church should rid itself of false teachers. And at the center of this Christian faith was the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the foundational truths were under attack in the church at Ephesus, and the reality is they are still under attack in our churches today. So like Timothy, we are called to avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. You see, when we fight for the gospel, when we stand for the truth, we have to stop spreading gossip. We have to stop spreading and believing in the lies. And so this verse sums up really the whole of Paul's letter. As a faith family and a church, we are called to stop false teaching. We are called to hold to the faith, to hold to the truth of the word of God. We are called to appoint elders who teach the word of God. We are to devote ourselves to the reading of the word and the teaching of the word. And we are to keep watch over ourselves and to fight the good fight by keeping the word of God without fault. You see, Paul recognizes that temptations and attacks will come every day. None of us are immune from Satan's attacks. In fact, some of our fights can and will come from within the faith family. So, we can quickly begin to realize that many of our attacks happen within 
ourselves, but also within our faith family. And yet, as Paul has said, taking it one step further, we can see that these attacks also happen within the church and then within our community. So the question we have to ask ourselves now is, are we prepared for these battles? When we enter our communities, are we going to remain faithful to the word outside of the church just as we are faithful to it within the church? Do we realize that we are called to share the true gospel of Jesus Christ? If so, then we must fight fear. We must fight the distractions and fight uh, timidity in order to use our opportunities to make Jesus known in the world. So whether inside the church or within ourselves or outside in the community, the truth of the word of God is both essential for the church and for the church to continue to see the kingdom of God advance. So my prayer is that we would not become like many of our churches today. My prayer is that we would not abandon the word of God, which leads churches to now doubt God's glory. My prayer is that we as a church would not abandon the word, as many churches have done, which ultimately leads to questioning the very character of who God is. My prayer is that as a church, that we would not abandon the word of God for gimmicks and thereby diminish or ignore the word altogether. Rather, let us remain faithful to teach the word, to share the word, to preach the word, so that it is God who is being glorified in this fight and not man. You see, we need to remember this for our church We are not building the kingdom of Southside Baptist Church. We are building and advancing the kingdom of God for the glory of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I understand that all this talk of battles and wars and fightings may leave many of us to to feel weak and frustrated and, and even overwhelmed. But I want you to hear good news today. You see, in verse 21, Paul gives good news. The very last thing he says to Timothy is this. He says, grace be with you. You see, Paul recognizes for Timothy and for us today that we are unable to do this work on our own. You see, we do this work because we are filled with the grace of God. So like Paul and speaking to Timothy, like Timothy and his ministry, we are called to strive to do the work recognizing that it is God who provides the strength. And so not only are we filled with his grace, but let's remember again that again, we are not alone in this battle. In fact, when you look at this phrase again, grace be with you, pay attention to the word you. Because again, Paul doesn't mix his words here. 
When you study the word you in its original language, Paul is now speaking of a plural you. In other words, Paul is no longer speaking simply to Timothy. He is speaking to the church. Now, yes, this letter is aimed at Timothy, but when Paul closes, he had the church in mind. Now, we need to take comfort in this moment. You see, when we read any letter in the Bible, when we read any book in the Bible, we need to recognize that this book is about God. This book reveals God's glory, but God gave us this book because he has us in mind. That's why we have it. You see, God is with us. We are never alone in this fight. So let me remind you, as the war wages on today, and it will wage on, we will walk out these doors today encouraged, prepared, and as soon as we get out, our enemy will be prepared to beat us senseless. But in the midst of the battle, Let us realize that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Let me tell you what I mean. Jesus Christ has already won. It was Jesus Christ who conquered sin and conquered death. Jesus is already victorious. So we already know how this is going to end for the believer. We are going to be reunited with the great champion and we are going to stand in victory with our Lord. But until he returns, let us all as believers continue to fight the good fight. As I spoke earlier of Martin Luther In his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and speaking of Satan, let me read for you what else Martin Luther has for us. Just listen to the words. He says, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. I pray that those words, like the words that we have before us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 21, would continue to encourage us. Believers, there's a battle going on. It is happening within our souls. It is happening within our homes. It is happening within our churches. And it is happening within our communities and in our country and all over this world. But here is the good news. Christ Jesus has won. We will be victorious. And until the day he calls us home, 
until the day we see him again. My prayer is that we would continue to fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for just this letter, your book that we have right now. God, we thank you from the, for the truth of your word. We thank you for the calling that you've placed upon each of our lives. Father, none of us are immune to the attacks today. None of us are immune to the battles and the hardships and the struggles. We're not immune to temptation and to, to sin. And so, Father, I pray that we would realize each and every day is another day to engage in spiritual battle. But, Father, as, as we engage, Father, I pray that we would hold fast to the truth that comes from your word. That we would know that you are near to us, that you are with us. And Father, I pray that we would rest in knowing that it is you who is and always will be victorious. So Father, I pray that in our actions, in our words, in our workplaces, in our homes, God, I pray that we would speak of you that we would speak of the truth that comes from knowing you as Lord. Father, in a season where we enter into thanksgiving, Father, this week, whether we are gathered with family or whether we are not, help us to be thankful for you. Help us to be reminded of what you have done for your people. And God, as we move from Thanksgiving into the season of Advent, Father, prepare our hearts to live every day longing for the day of your return. But until that day, give us wisdom, give us strength, and give us the boldness to continue to fight the good fight. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.